Today, I would like to uh, y'all to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3. Title of the message is, We Must Be Born Again. And just in introduction, you look at me and you think, oh, what a nice Christian boy, right? <laughs> yes, of course you do. But I want to tell you, like, I haven't always been a nice Christian boy. I didn't get saved till I was 25 years old. I grew up in a home where there was uh, alcoholism. I grew up in a home where there was domestic violence. I grew up in a home where there was adultery. I grew up in a divorced home. My parents got a divorce the first time when I was nine. I, actually, they didn't finalize it. They were separated, and then they finally got the divorce when I was 12. Uh, but I was raised this in an unbelieving family, a typical family. We never went to church. There was never any Christian influence in our lives. And I just followed in my parents' footsteps. You know, from an early age, I got involved in drugs and alcohol and everything that kind of went into that lifestyle. I just indulged myself. And at the age of 25, I became a Christian. And I began to grow in the Lord. Everything changed. My whole life changed at that time. I began to grow in my relationship with Jesus Christ for the first time. And after being a Christian for a while, I began to really kind of be discouraged because I, I saw so many other people my age who were raised in a Christian family. They had a, a much better start to life than I did. I kind of felt like I, I, I was cheated, you know, out of life. Like, for example, I, I've been in Bible college ministry for the last 20 years, and I see these kids, 18, 19 years old, who are already memorized so many verses, more, probably memorized more verses than I do even as a pastor. Yeah, it's sad, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I memorize them, and now I forget them, you know what I'm saying? I don't know. I can still remember all of the rock and roll songs from when I was in my 20s. But I have to read the words to the worship songs still. I don't know. My mind doesn't work the same. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, it, it was shortly after I got saved, in that time of discouragement, it kind of, God spoke to my heart. And he said, you did start again. When you were born again, you have a new start. I had a new start. You know, um, tomorrow is New Year's Eve. Tuesday is the first day of um, 2019. And so there's going to be a lot of kind of New Year's resolution ideas. We wanted to do something different. I'm here to tell you that your life can begin a new now, maybe you've never received Christ into your life. Maybe somebody brought you or maybe you're kind of in that place in life where you're kind of, um, you're here because 2018 didn't go so well for you. Maybe all of the things that you thought were going to work out ended in destruction. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is destruction. Maybe you find that you can begin a new life now. You know, my friends, Russ and Sarah Holiday, just had a baby last week. Precious little baby. I went and visited him. 
I, I tried to get her to name it Rodina after me, Rod. She didn't like that name for some reason. I thought it was beautiful. So it's Malia Noel. <laughs> A little bit better, huh? Beautiful baby, you know. And I just, first day, you know, she was born. First day of her life. No past. No past. Only a future. And, and I want to encourage you. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. What's happened in the past is past, and, and we can be forgiven for that, and we can make a commitment to Christ, maybe the first time, or maybe renew a commitment to Christ. And the, today is the, the day that you can change the trajectory of your life. Maybe you've gone off course. God can help you kind of realign get back on the path that he has for you. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.17 is what God spoke to my heart early on. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so today, out of John chapter 3, we're going to look at being born again. We're going to first meet Nicodemus, a man named Nicodemus. Um, we're going to look at uh, we must be born again. And then lastly, we're going to look at how we can be born again. So first thing in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, let's meet Nicodemus. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Je Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus, he, he just, when you meet this guy, he seems like a good man, maybe a good representation of, of, a, of a man, right? He was a religious man. He was of the sect of the Pharisees. At any given time in Israel, there were no more than 6,000 Pharisees. They were a very strict sense, and everybody kind of knew them. They're, just by what they wore, a Pharisee had, they believe, like 18 different pieces of garment to their, um, when they got dressed. I want to show you a slide, kind of give you an idea. So that's the high priest, and those other guys, no doubt, are Pharisees, right? So Nicodemus, when he walked into a room, you kind of realize, okay, this guy is religious. Uh, last month, I went to a conference for Christian camps, and it was an interdenominational camp. So people from all different kinds of um, Christian camps and leaders and directors were there. And there's this one guy, he was an Anglican priest, and he wore his vestments, his official vestments. So Next slide. That wasn't actually him. That looks more like me, but. Uh, he has a lot of hair. Kind of hate him. But anyway, he, that's what he was wearing. So we're all just kind of dressed normally in just regular casual clothes. And then this guy walks in. You kind of, okay, this guy is religious, right? And you know what it is like when you're a pastor, 
and you come into a situation where somebody doesn't know you're a pastor, and then they kind of are more free, maybe, with what they say. And then um, they ask you, oh, by the way, what do you do? And um, I'm a pastor. And you can see in their mind, they kind of are doing a rewind. Did I say anything? What did I say? You know what I mean? <laughs> and all of a sudden, they change. But um, he would, this guy was also a ruler of the Jews. So he was one of 70 in what is known as the Sanhedrin. That was the governing body of Israel. They were under Rome, but this was the ones that um, they had the authority. They governed, they had a certain amount of autonomy to govern. Jesus later later on calls him a teacher of Israel. So he was a spiritual leader as well. And you know, Whenever you're a spiritual leader, the people that you're leading, they have a respect for you, which is even biblically, they should have a respect for their spiritual leaders. So this guy was kind of popular. He had a lot of good things going for him. There's other people in the Bible that you meet who maybe aren't quite such good representations of humanity. For example, in the next chapter, chapter 4, you meet a Samaritan woman who has a discussion with Jesus by the well. And in the discussion, you know, Jesus said, are you married? Or, and she, she's, through the discussion, it turns out, well, she's had five husbands. And the man that she was living with was not her husband. Jesus revealed this to her. She was kind of shocked. And I, I perceive you to be a prophet. She was, she was caught, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. You know that she needs a change. You know that she needs to have a, 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 something happen in her life. Chapter 8, there's a couple that are caught in the act of adultery, in the act of adultery. Like, it was not like um, he said, she said. No, they were, yeah. <laughs> you know, busted. They needed, they needed to repent. They needed to change. That you read about tax collectors or drunkards and prostitutes, and you understand they need to be born again. They need a change in their life. When I give my testimony, you understand before Christ that I needed something to impact. I needed a change. But here's a man who you wouldn't think needs a change. He's a good man. However, Nicodemus was not satisfied with his religion. He wasn't satisfied with his power, the authority that he had. He wasn't satisfied with the popularity. that There was something missing. And Jesus comes on the scene. And he sees something in Jesus that all of his religion couldn't give him. He saw something in Jesus that he was missing. We know that you are a man who you've come from God... Because nobody could do the things that you're doing unless God was with them. Something is different about you. He saw real life in Jesus. The abundant life in Jesus. Opposite of what he had experienced in his lifeless religious state. Nicodemus has been scoffed at because he comes to Jesus by night, right? Oh, come on, you wimp. Come out in the light. But I'm not going to scoff at him. I'm not going to. He came. 
Nicodemus came. Where's the rest of them? At least Nicodemus came. He saw something in Jesus, and he wanted to know what it was. He was a seeker of the truth. Sometimes people, human beings in general, we can bite into a lie, a falsehood, and we can believe it like the truth. We didn't know it was a falsehood. But then when we're confronted with the truth, sometimes we're not willing to give up the false and accept the true. For example, I, how many people have ever had a Jehovah Witness grace your doorstep? Yeah. So I had a couple of them come to my house, and I invited them in, and I sat down, and I got my Bible out. We had a discussion. And, I, and through the discussion, I, I was able to show him, them, that um, what they believed was contrary to the Word of God. That it was, according to the Bible, false. We had the discussion to the point where they really could, couldn't answer anymore. They had their book, but they couldn't, they ran out of things in their book, so they couldn't answer anymore. And they left my house. That they left my house without accepting the truth. They left my house still believing in something that was a falsehood, a lie, you know. And when you're confronted with the truth, and it happens all the time, you know, when people get saved, they have a certain idea, a certain concept about God and what God will permit in their life, and then they hear in the Bible or they read the Bible something different, and instead of accepting it, they kind of, you know, well, that couldn't be right because I, I really think, I really feel like this is right. Well, who cares what you feel? I love you, but I really don't care. The truth needs to transform us transform our minds, right? When confronted with the word of God, the truth, if it's something different than you believe, you need to stop believing in something that's different than the Bible. It's false. And accept the truth, no matter how difficult it may be, no matter how painful it might be, in the things that you have to do as a result to walk with God. But this is how I came to know Christ. I was dissatisfied with my life. I wasn't content. I spent most of my time indulging my flesh, trying to be satisfied, but I was left wanting. I was left empty. Now, the interesting thing is, is that Nicodemus was trying to satisfy his life by denying his flesh. But he was left wanting. He was left empty. We both had different kind of lifestyles, but ended up in the same position. Not content, not fully satisfied. And he saw Jesus. And he said, I got to find out what it is. He has what I'm missing. I walked into a room in 1985 in June. I can remember it like it was yesterday. That's one thing I can remember. And I walked in and there were 300 young people. I was young then. 
was three. <laughs> so I walked into this room, little boy, no, walked in, 25 years old, and I saw a bunch of people my own age, and they were worshiping God. They had their hands raised to the air, their eyes closed, and they were worshiping God, whoever that was. I didn't know who that was. The, the Bible preacher, the preacher came out and he spoke from Romans and he spoke in a foreign language. He talked about sanctification, justification, all this vocabulary that was so foreign to me at the time. Didn't understand a word he said. But that isn't what spoke to me. What spoke to me is that these young people had what I had been trying to fill my life by indulging the flesh. They had what I was lacking. They had something that I didn't have. And when the preacher said, if anybody wants to receive Jesus, it dawned on me that that's what they have. And even though I didn't really understand who Jesus was, or really even, I didn't really understand the gospel. I mean, I, I literally never went to church. I mean, people are shocked by that. But I have one memory when I was five in the back of a church. It was a red brick building. That's all I remember. And I remember sitting in an Episcopalian church. I only knew that because that my mom told me when I was a teenager. And I was probably high waiting for the guy to get done anyway. That's my memory. So I had, to, I had to learn all these things, you know, but I knew, I just knew something. They had something that I had been searching for. They had life, you know. And this is what Nicodemus, he's coming to Jesus with the same desire. And then verses three through eight, Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, He cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So in this passage, Jesus emphasizes kind of a a same theme. Verse 3, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then in verse 5, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So if I were today to ask how many people here would like to enter the kingdom of God, how many hands would go up? All of them, I hope. And in order for you to enter the kingdom of God, Jesus said, you must be born again. There was a preacher in England by the name of George Whitfield. And somebody kind of mockingly asked him, you know, George Whitfield, why do you always preach we must be born again? George Whitfield responded, because we must be born again. <laughs> it's, it's, that, it's that simple, but it's that profound. You must 
be born again. There's not another option. Well, option one, be born again. Option two, there's no option two. You must be born again in order to go to heaven. So, the key to understanding this is in this word again, anothen in the Greek. So, look up on the slide here. This is what it can mean in various contexts. The first one, born from above or from a higher place. Second one is born from the first, from the first. Or the third one, born anew or over again. Or if you will, or again in the same way. And so really, if you apply this definition to this word, it, it kind of fits no matter what. But this is how Nicodemus understood it. He understood it in the third phrase because he said, how can I enter again into my mother's womb and be born? That would be very uncomfortable especially for my mother. But that's where he went. How can I be born again in the same way I've already been born? Humanly impossible to do that. So what is Jesus saying? He's taking us back to the beginning, right? In the beginning, it says, God said, let us make, and this is Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. God created human beings special. You guys are special. When I look at another person, I see the image of God. It may be marred a little bit because of sin, But I have to look past it, and I see every human being as being made in in the image and likeness of God. Therefore, if I say something negative to you about you, I'm really saying it against God because you're made in his image. We need to see people like that. Human beings are a unique creature of God. God is spirit, right? And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And God created us in his image. And when he created us, he created us as spiritual beings. Sure, we have physical beings as well, physical bodies, but we're also spiritual beings. In the garden, you know, the first verse, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Created the universe, boom, blasted it into existence through the words of his mouth. Out of nothing he created. But then it says about man in Genesis 2, verse 7, that he formed man of the dust of the ground. So he took the material that he created on the first at the first at the beginning, and then he formed and made a man out of the existing material. But here the man was just laying there. No life. But it says that God breathed into this man the breath of life and he became a living being. God gave man some of his life. 
gave him life. We're special. We're special. But the, the story doesn't end there. God said to the man, you know, of every tree, and this is in Genesis 2, 15 and 17, of every tree, you know, you may freely eat. Created all of them for your blessing, to bless you. But there's just one tree in the midst of the garden that you should not eat of it. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So where do you see man? At the one tree. Good. I'm glad we're not like that. You can have all these other trees, you know, hundreds of trees in the garden, I, I, I imagine. Could have been anywhere, but they're at the one. Wonder what's so special about this one. You know? Out comes the devil, tempts. Eve, Eve eats, gives to her husband, and they eat. And then at that moment, the moment that they eat, they die. Not physically. They live a lot longer physically. But at that moment in time, they partook of the forbidden fruit. They died spiritually. And everybody since has been in the same state, spiritually dead, and left to our own abilities, we're, we're helpless and hopeless. Listen, listen to what Charles Spurgeon says. A man may cast away vices, forsake many lusts in which he indulge, and conquer evil habits, But no man in the world can make himself to be born of God. Though he should struggle ever so much, he could never accomplish what is beyond his power. Being born again is a miracle. It's a supernatural work of God that we can't perform on ourselves. Jesus said, Matthew 19, 26, with men this is impossible, It's impossible for us. But the story doesn't stop there. But with God, all things are possible. The creator of the universe, the creator of Adam and Eve, who breathed into their nostrils the breath of life and they became a living being. He became a living being. He's the one that can make you born again new. John Phillips, um, the next slide, listen to what he says. A great dictum of Genesis 1 is after its kind. No kind can evolve into some other kind. Cats do not become dogs. Monkeys do not become men. Each creature reproduces according to its kind. Thus Adam in his fallen state could reproduce only after his kind. Fallen men can reproduce only fallen men. What we inherit from our parents is a sin nature. What, is, what we pass on to our children is a sin nature. My girls are here, I'm sorry. But, it's, but it was my parents' fault. 
We reproduce our own kind. What is born of the flesh is flesh. It can never evolve into some higher kind of life. Fleshly life can never generate spiritual life. That is life of a different kind. We need to be born again. In the same way that Adam was born at the beginning. Not physically reborn, but spiritually reborn. We need the breath of life back into us. Verse 5, it's, it's, um, some commentators interpret this d- different ways. Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, unless as one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so... Some refer to the water as being baptism, but I don't think that that's true because baptism is an external rite or ritual of something that's occurred internally in our life. Um, it could be, for some say it's the word of God, and that's a real possibility because First Peter one twenty three says, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And some say this is referring to the natural birth. You know, as a baby is surrounded by water in the, in the womb. And it makes sense in this context. In this context, that's what, that's what um, John is, is saying. Because um, the very next verse, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So, a baby is developed in the womb, surrounded by this sack of water. And this amniotic sack, it does things for it. It protects the baby while it's in the womb. Kind of acts as a cushion. It also helps the baby's lungs and digestive system to to develop. It also helps the baby... Um, protect it from infections. So this water sack kind of envelops the, the baby and protects it, you know. But it's amazing. A, a baby from early on is pretty much fully developed, almost fully developed. Even the first month when the baby is a, a quarter inch long, there's a heartbeat that goes 65 Beats a minute. And that's a, you know, just a little minute thing. By the second month, its facial fe- features are developed, fingers and toes, and it's all of one inch. Boom. When I, uh, I was a missionary in Serbia, and my wife was pregnant with my firstborn son, my only son, I call him, he's my only begotten son. We lived there during Yugoslavia during a, the, the embargo. And so, um, you know, they weren't used to Americans. The culture was a man that really didn't come back for the appointments and see. or was I wasn't in the delivery room or anything like that there. But uh, they knew I was American, so they let me come back when she was doing the sonogram because they didn't have any paper because of the embargo, so we couldn't get a printout of the baby. So they let me come back so I could at least see it. And the first time I see my son, he's three months old, and I walk into the room. 
I hear his heartbeat, and he's sucking his thumb, and she's showing me this in the thing. And I'm just stricken with the motion, like, that's my boy. I didn't know he was a boy then, but, you know, by faith, I claimed he was a boy. <laughs> I come back the next month, and, and I walk back there, and, and she shows me. And right when I, this is no joke, right when I see him, he kind of raises his hand, and he does this. Oh, that's my boy. That's my boy. What's up, son? You know? But the, the baby, he's fully formed, but nothing can be used. All of his members are there, but they're just in the sack until he's born from that water. He comes, and now he can utilize everything. And I think this is what Jesus is saying, is that this gift of being born again is offered to everyone. It's potentially there. You just need to have the birth. You're made in God's image. Sin has entered in and you've, and, and you've been spiritually dead. But everything is there. The potential for real life to come back into your life, to be born again like Adam was born the first time, to be born again by God, by the Spirit of God. It's amazing. I think Nicodemus must have looked surprised because Jesus said, don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Then he uses this illustration to kind of give Nicodemus an idea of what's going on. The wind blows where it wishes, verse 8, and you hear the sound of it but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Can't figure this out. Let me give you an illustration, Nicodemus. This is what's happening. This is why you came. You saw something different in me. You saw the effects of the Spirit. Pastor Chuck Smith tells a story of his mother, you know, asking him, son, do you see the wind? Chuck responded, yeah, of course I see the wind. See, it's the, the, the trees, the leaves and everything moving. And his mother taking a teaching moment, he said, well, actually, son, what you don't, You don't see the wind. What you see is the effects of the wind. And that's what Jesus is saying here. You see in me the effects of the spiritual life that you don't have. The same thing I saw in those 300 young people. The effects of the life of the Spirit, the Spirit of God who made them born again, I saw in them something and it attracted me. I didn't have it. We don't need to see something to believe it. We believe in gravity. When you get older, you believe in it more. (laughs) Furniture disease when your chest drops down to your drawers. But anyway. You believe in it? How many people believe in electricity? I used to be a plumber. And I was under the house in the early 80s. And I was repiping this house galvanized pipes, I was changing it to copper. And, you know, the the electric is supposed to be grounded. There's a ground rod and everything. If there's a problem, it goes into the ground rod and disperses out so nobody gets shocked. I don't know what was wrong with it, but it wasn't working. I'm working on the galvanized pipe, and I get shocked, right? 
So I go, man, bummer. So uh, I go, oh, I'm tough. I can do it again. You know, I, I just go back at it. Get shocked again. Not once, not twice, but three times. I'm a little slow. <laughs> Finally get out from under the house. I go to the electrical panel. I shut everything off. I said, do not turn that back on until I come back out, until I'm finished, you know. But that day I became a believer in electricity. <laughs> Never seen it. But I felt the power surging through my body. You know? And that's what it is. You can see the effects of it. You can see it in other people. And then when you partake of it, you feel the effect in your life. The Spirit of God gives you life. I don't even know how to explain it. It's just a life, a quality of life that once you didn't have, but now you do have. It's a life that, that gives you a hope that this is going to go on forever. It's, it's an eternal life. This isn't just a temporary life where I, where I have this biological existence and then I die. I'm born again. And it goes beyond the grave. I'm the resurrection in the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, yet will he live. This is the life that we have in Christ. This is what it means to be born again. So how can we be born again? Notice Nicodemus. He doesn't say, well, why? Why do we need to be born again? No, he said, how? He's now on the hook, man. He now wants this. He was drawn to Jesus. See something different. Now, how can I have it? And so Jesus is going to tell him. Verse 9. How can these things be? Nicodemus asks. Verse 10, Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I told you earthly things, this illustration, so that you can understand it, and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. So this is what Jesus is saying. You want to know, Nicodemus? Listen up. I'm going to tell you. And let me tell you, I have the authority to be able to tell you. I know what I'm talking about. I came from heaven. We just celebrated Christmas, the incarnation of Jesus, God coming to earth. Never ceasing to be God, but taking on humanity as well. To go to the cross, to die for our sins according to the scriptures. He was placed in a grave and he remained there three days, dead. After three days, life came back into his body and he was raised from the dead, never to die again. He spent 40 days on earth with his disciples talking about the kingdom of God. At the end of the 40 days, in their presence, he was taken back into heaven where he came from. He ascended back into heaven. This is the Jesus who's saying, Nicodemus, listen to me. The hour witness at his baptism, the voice came from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit testifying that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, through the miracles and everything that Jesus performed on earth. The words of Jesus himself, 
I, we have borne witness that I am he. I am the Messiah of Israel. I'm the Messiah, the Christ, of the, the Son of the living God. And I'm going to tell you with authority how this can happen. Because I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. There's one way. Verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is how, Nicodemus. I know what I'm talking about. Now listen, this is how. Numbers uh, 21. Children of Israel as they did many times, began to complain against God. You brought us out to the wilderness. We're going to die out here. And they complained about Moses, right? You guys, familiar story. Um, They even complained uh, about the provisions, the miraculous provision of the manna, right? I'm glad that we never complain about the provisions God has for us, right? Like them. We're not like them. God began to judge them. By sending serpents into the camp. And anybody that these serpents would bite would die. It was a deadly. It was lethal. Lethal bite. So the people began to repent. <laughs> well, we did it again. We complained against you. We complained against God. You know, please intercede for us, Moses. Help, help, help. And Moses intercedes. God gives them a solution. Make a serpent out of brass and lift it up on a pole in the midst of the camp. And if anybody gets bit by the snake, all they have to do is put themselves in a position to be able to see the serpent on the pole and they will be healed. God provides a solution to their problem. They had a deadly solution and God provides a a, a deadly problem and God provides a solution. And Jesus says, just as a serpent was lifted up, so the Son of Man must be lifted. This is how it happens. Through the cross. Through the cross. There was nothing in that pole, nothing in that bronze serpent that gave healing. It was the faith they had to exercise to get themselves in a position to see it. And as they exercised that faith, it was the faith that brought the healing. In their life. And for us, we need to see Jesus lifted up on the pole and believe in God's solution to our problem. We have a problem. Human beings have a problem, and that problem is called sin. And the solution is Jesus dying on the cross for our sin. This is, you want to know how it works, Nicodemus? This is how it works. And through the death of Jesus on the cross, we're going to partake in communion right now. The the bread is to remind us of his broken body. Jesus came and lived a sinless life. Perfect humanity. And that perfect humanity was killed executed 
executed for me so that my imperfect humanity could be made perfect. And the blood and the the cup that we're going to partake represents his blood that was shed for our sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. There is no remission of sin. But Jesus came and that his blood cleanses us from our sin. The one thing that was the barrier between us and God is now removed. And then God comes and he breathes into us once again the breath of life. And we we become living beings again. We are born again. Just as Adam was born at the beginning, we are now born again by the Spirit of God in our lives. Now, maybe you need a new start. (laughs) I wanted to encourage you. Today is the day to decide for Christ. Today is the day to re-decide for Christ. Today is the day to get your life in a place where God can bless it. Amen?